Good morning. I invite your attention to Mark chapter 6 uh, for a message this morning. Mark chapter 6, and I'll be reading the first six verses. Speaking of Jesus here, and he went out from thence and came into his own country, and his disciples follow him. When the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished, saying, From whence hath this man these things? And what wisdom is this which is given unto him, that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands? Is not this the carpenter? the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and of Judah and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. But Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, but in his own country and among his own kin and in his own house. And he could do no mighty works save that he laid his hands upon a few sick folk, and he healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went around the villages teaching. Question. Is unbelief minimizing the work of Jesus today? The title is is taken from verse 6, Because of their unbelief. Is unbelief minimizing the work of Jesus today? Think about that as we look at the few, at the few verses there. The book of Mark is said to be more of an, an action book, focusing on more the deeds of Jesus and not quite as much on his words. But just a quick review. Uh, Jesus begins his ministry, Mark 1, verse 14. And then take note to some of the actions or deeds that Jesus did or that Mark records for us. Chapter 1 and verse 21, Jesus uh, orders the evil spirits to, uh, to leave the man who was there in the synagogue. In chapter 1, verse 29, Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law. In chapter 1, verse 34, I will read, And he healed many that were sick of diverse diseases and cast out many devils and suffered not the devil to speak because they knew him. There we see that Jesus healed many. Chapter 1, go down to verse 40. Jesus heals a man who was, had leprosy. You go to chapter 2, Jesus heals a man who was paralyzed. You turn to chapter 3, Jesus heals a man with a withered hand. You go to chapter 4, Jesus calms a storm. Chapter 5, Jesus orders demons into a herd of pigs. Chapter 5, a woman reaches out and touches the clothing of Jesus and she was healed. Also, chapter 5, Jesus healed Jairus' daughter. He raised her from the dead. And yeah, we quickly covered five some verses and briefly looked at a number of these, but just stop and ponder and think about all the miracles that Jesus performed and ask a question, how many lepers were healed back in the day? Yes, there were a few, but it was a dreaded disease with no cure other than the power of Jesus. The one uh, man that Mark mentions was paralyzed. Today, we think about someone being paralyzed, we don't think a whole lot further because we know uh, what happens. But here, that, he was no match for the power of Jesus. That, he was healed. We think of a storm. 
Many of us live through storms. We think of them. And think of how many times did you walk outside and tell the storm to stop? Probably never. What did Jesus do in the storm? He calmed the storm with a few words. Think about that woman's faith. This is what she said in my own words, or the Bible basically says the same. If I could just touch the coat that Jesus is wearing, my sickness will be healed. And we know the story. She was. Faith. What about Jair? Someone in, uh, came running to him and said, hey, let Jesus alone. Your daughter died. Just, just let him alone. Don't bother him anymore. What did Jesus say? Jesus said, be not afraid. Only believe. What happened? Later, his daughter rose and walked. We look at, at these miracles that lead us up to chapter 6, and then we think, you know, the, the, the means of communication were not quite as advanced back in this time as what they are, what we have available today, but I'm quite certain that the news of the miracles that we just looked were heard by many. Then chapter 6, where does Jesus go? Back to his hometown. Along with his disciples, he left Capernaum, which where he was with Jairus and his daughter, and traveled to his hometown, Nazareth, where he had grown up as a child and a young man. Now, this is the second time that Jesus returned home, I mean, throughout his ministry. The first time, he had been rejected. Uh, there was a, some violent rage going on back at the begin, beginning of his ministry. Back, we can see that in Luke 4. His town folk were filled with anger and thrust him out of the city. And if you read the account, they attempted to kill him. Up until this point, we, we, if you read uh, Mark 1 through 5, you see crowds just followed Christ. The one time I had read that here, his, we see his hometown did not flock him like the people in the other towns. We're not told about people following, crowds following him around Nazareth. And from all indications, he, Jesus was not given the opportunity to preach until we get to the Sabbath day, which is where we're going to start. Point number one in the synagogue. So remember the miracles that Jesus had just done or in the days prior to leading up to this point. So Jesus gives Nazareth a second opportunity and using the, the usual way he, he went about in a synagogue service. So it appears here, verse 2, that he was invited to preach. And when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach. It appears there was an invitation there, a positive start to this Sabbath day service. He was accepted. And who better to teach in the synagogue than the master himself? And notice the response. Many hearing him were astonished. So try to picture the service quite full. Many listening, drinking in the truth, and they were astonished, which means struck out of their senses. If you can imagine uh, a pastor standing up front and everyone just struck out of their senses, the service I would have liked to attend. But the teaching of Jesus was powerful, extremely impressive, so much that they were amazed at his ability and at what he had to say. And brothers and sisters, I wish that this account would continue with the same attitude from the congregation here. They were astonished, which is good. They were listening and should have kept listening because what he was saying was truth and coming from the lips of the Lord. And we can stop there for a moment and ask, um, ask a couple questions. Do we today, do we take the words of Jesus at face value? Are we amazed and astonished at the wisdom of Christ? And are we drinking in every word that he says and applying them to our lives? That leads us to point number two, which is mistake number one, questioning. 
Now, their amazement, which we see in verse 2, quickly turns to contempt. And they started asking questions. And yes, they were asking the right questions, but they were asking the right questions with the wrong attitude. Amazed and astonished. And I can kind of picture that, how they were, but instead of remaining seated on the edge of their seats and, and listening to every word he said, and maybe they didn't have backs in their benches back in this, in this synagogue, but I can just picture them just sliding back in their benches against the back of the seat and saying, wait a minute, whoa, 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 why am I amazed? Where did this man learn all of this? Where did he attain this kind of wisdom? And how is it possible for him to perform such miracles? So the questions there in verse 2, again, I repeat, they were the right questions. But if only they would have been open to the correct answer. Today we know the man teaching the synagogue was the son of God. But in their mind, Jesus didn't have the right credentials nor the correct education to preach. Their prejudice towards there, and uh, a couple of times we're going to call him the hometown boy, because that's all, that's all that they thought he was. Their prejudice towards him overruled the evidence that Mark just showed us in the previous chapters. And that's why we look at some of the miracles, just to, to remind us, not that we ever forgot, of who Jesus is. And now he gets home and these people say, no, 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 something's wrong here. So what did they do? They questioned his source of authority, which was a dangerous position to take. His wisdom and mighty works that he had done, correct. They couldn't be denied. So the people recognized that his wisdom and power were a given wisdom and power, taken from back there in verse 2, but they couldn't understand where, neither from whom, that he had received them. And also, they couldn't bring themselves to the place to ask the real question, and the real question was, is this truly the Messiah? Or maybe they, they just refused to ask because they could not see past the point that Jesus had come from a place as lowly as Nazareth, and that he was nothing more to them than a common man. So again, their questions were good, they were right, and it was revealing that they were thinking about him. But they were making a big mistake, for they were unwilling to acknowledge that he had personally come from God. To them, Jesus was human, had humble beginnings, and he was a mere working man, a carpenter. To them, his family offered him no social or educational advantages. They were just common, ordinary folk, none of whom ever achieved anything significant, or so they thought. And yet, here he was teaching as a great rabbi. So what was the root problem? Was it envy and jealousy? Or were they simply unwilling to admit that Jesus was who he claimed to be? So what did they do? They resented his claims and became stiff-necked and given themselves over to unbelief. They began, they continued to doubt and question. Verse 3, it's not just the carpenter. And here in verse 3 is, is the only New Testament reference of Jesus being a carpenter. In Matthew 13, 55, he's referred to as a carpenter's son. Now, a carpenter is a term used of skilled labor, a craftsman who built things by hand. And Jesus was. But to you and I, and I, I wish to these people here, he was so much more. They were trying to belittle him by attacking his previous occupation. How can this man preach and do these miracles? He's only a carpenter. They try to take Jesus who he was and just push him down. Then they continued, 
said, the son of Mary. And here we see a deliberate put-down. And maybe the reason many of the Jews refused to believe on Jesus. One was normally re referred to as the son of his father. So the phrase son of Mary was at worst a statement that he was illegitimate. Since rumors of Mary's uh, being pregnant before marrying Joseph were still going around. And what a painful reminder to Mary of the sacrifice she had made, committing herself to be the handmaid of the Lord. Then in, in, uh, in John 1.46, 6, Nathaniel said, uh, Can there any good come out, thing come out of Nazareth? And Philip said unto him, Come and see. Now here, in, in Mark, they're actually saying, How can anything good come out of what they consider was a sin, sinful pregnancy? So what is happening is Jesus is not only being rejected, but he's also being sneered and despised. He says, uh, he, they start talking about his family. Isn't this man the brother of James, Joseph, and Judah, and Simon? We know his brothers and his sisters. They saw him only as an ordinary young man from their community. So to sum it up, the people of Nazareth, they saw him as a hometown boy with less than honorable beginnings, and they couldn't explain what was happening. They couldn't reason it out. So their conclusion, they rejected him. In his hometown, rejected. Point number three is mistake number two, offended. Which comes from the end of verse three, and they were offended at him. Now this were offended is in the passive voice in Greek, which means Jesus himself did not cause their stumbling. Their doubt and rejection were their own responsibility. They were offended at him. Why? Because they thought that he was only one of their own. And offended is defined as resentful and annoyed. John 1, 10, 11 says, He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. And he came unto his own, excuse, excuse me, and his own received him not. In the world, though he was made by the world, back in Genesis the world didn't know him. Then he came to his own here in verse chapter 6, and he, they did not accept him. In verse 4, Jesus identifies three groups who were offended and doing dishonor to him. He said, a prophet is without honor, but in his own country. And Luke 4 tells us they tried to kill him. His own, his own, uh, his own kin, friends and neighbors who thought he was insane, Mark 3. His own house, family members who were embarrassed by his claims and neighbors the talk that they were receiving also in Mark 3. And it seems like the closer the people were to Jesus, the less they understood him. As we see there in verse 4, his own people, and so on and so forth. It's similar to saying, yeah, we know who this man is. We actually even know his parents. We even know the house that he lives in or used to live in before he started his ministry. But he has no significant position, so away with him. And we see there their response, question, who is Jesus to you? What does he mean to you? And then do we ever get so familiar with Christ and the great truth of the gospel that we take them lightly and lose our wonder? And I trust we never get to that point. And also hope we never lose sight of the words Jesus said in John 14, 6. If we ever forget who Jesus is, go back to John 14, 6, where Jesus said, he tells us, he says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. But he doesn't stop there. He also tells us that no man will get under the Father, our Heavenly Father, but through him. Everyone, 
everyone will need to go through Jesus if they want to reach the Heavenly Father. I talked about the Jews this morning from, from the book of Romans and their, their response. But here, they, they were rejecting the only way to God. Jesus is the only way. In verse 4 of uh, Take the World But Give Me Jesus, Fanny Crosby wrote, Take the world but give me Jesus. In his cross my trust shall be, till with clearer, brighter vision, face to face, my Lord, I see. We take Jesus out of, the, out, of the, out of the picture, and we are, of all men, most miserable. We have nothing to look forward to, nothing to live for. Above all else, Jesus is what the world needs. He, he is the one who needs to be accepted and not rejected. He is the answer for the world today. Verse 3, they were asking questions, and I trust we know the answers. Yes, he was the carpenter. He was born to Mary. He had brothers and sisters, but he was, and he still is, the Son of God. And that brings us up to, verse, to point number 4, which is mistake number 3, unbelief. And we get that in verse 6. But verse 5 and 6 again, he could do no mighty work, save that he laid his hands upon a few sick folk and healed them, and he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went around the villages teaching. And I think, I look at this, and it seems like the scene even turns a little bit sadder in verse 5. Jesus offered only a, a minimal healing ministry. Unlike elsewhere, which we can read about, no crowds pressing him. Very few sick foot were brought to him. A few happened to come by. A few saw past the externals. And a few were healed by his usual companion, compassion. But for the most part, no miracles. And not that he was unable, but he restricted himself due to what? Their absence of faith. They didn't believe. And their lack of their, he saw that they had, had no need. There was a lack of need in their heart. And what is, hap, what has hap, is happening here is, is shocking. These people were blocking God's power for the entire community. Well, this, he's just, he's not nothing, no one's significant, and they just rejected him. And their questioning of who Jesus was and rejection towards Jesus kept most of the people away. And as we see there as a result, only a few sick were healed. Maybe the leper, leper we talked about back in chapter 1 should have come running and told this crowd the difference that Jesus made in his life. But no, the crowd's unbelief affected and influenced others. It basically kept them away from Christ. And that brings me to another question. Are we ever guilty of influencing others to be ashamed of Christ? Are we ever the blockade standing in the way, restricting the power of God? Those who knew Jesus best or should have been the most familiar with him were the same ones who were rejecting his presence. Again, his own family, his next-door neighbors and fellow country folk. And Mark points it out this way. Mark says Jesus marveled at their unbelief. And marveled is similar to the word back up there uh, in verse 2, similar to the word astonished. So we go back to the synagogue scene, and they were astonished at him. And here we get to verse 6, and Jesus is just astonished at what? The opposite. At their actions and their lack of faith. It's also worth noting that it has been said that Jesus was amazed only twice in his ministry. Two times. Here is the one time at their absence of faith. And in, in Luke 7, 9, uh, while, when he was with the Roman centurion, 
who trusted Jesus to heal his servant from a distance. He said, Jesus, just speak the word and my servant at a couple towns over will be healed. At that time, Jesus was amazed at the man's great faith. Question, in which way would Jesus be amazed at our faith today? Luke 7, like the centurion, or Mark 6, at these people? What is the root cause for unbelief in our society today? Think about it. What would you write down if we pass the paper around? What do you think is the root cause for unbelief in our society today? Today we have man so busy seeking and rejoicing in his own glory that he neither has time nor desire to offer glory to his master. And I trust that has not seeped into, into our church this morning. An unhealthy lust for power, I quote, wrapped in a cloak of pride breeds unbelief. So when man, we, want, we rise up, we want power, and then we wrap that in pride, and what's going to happen? It's going to breed unbelief. When we allow pride to cloud our view of Jesus and everything that he has accomplished for us, our desire for him dwindles, along with our need for him, because we feel we are up and coming on our own efforts. Unbelief is when we put our agenda or our thoughts or what we want ahead of Christ. And many times here we sing, uh, we place him on the highest place, and I trust he is still there in your life and always will be. But we need to be very careful that we don't allow something else to come ahead of Christ. The question could be asked, what is unbelief? And the answer I kept short is the absence of faith. Okay, well then what is faith? And that's unreserved trust and confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ. Then we see, if you think about them definitions, and that's where we find these people were at. They just wanted to put nothing at Jesus' feet. Are you willing this morning to lay all at the feet of Jesus and then to follow his steps and say, take up the cross and follow him daily? Mark 8, 34, he called his disciples, he called his people unto him with his disciples also and said unto him, whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself, take up the cross and follow me. So step one is deny self. And, that, and when we do that, that's the first step that Jesus gives us. And when we do that, we won't be trying to put ourselves ahead of him because we have denied self. Then it says, take up the cross. And then it says, follow Christ. And I trust that's where we are at. But what was the problem with the people in Mark 6? Unbelief, correct? They were not willing to lay anything at the feet of Jesus. They were thinking, well, he's no more than one of them. And their lack of faith resulted in rejection and unbelief which was their pride. Basically saying, in my words, this hometown boy is not going to tell me how to live, and their attitude called Jesus to leave town. And when we look at this, so often I look at, at stories in the Bible, and I think how different they could have been. And here again, oh, if only they would have been willing to sit at the feet of Jesus, to listen to him speak, I believe this story could have ended in revival. But they said, no, this man, we are not going to accept him. And Jesus knew their hearts, and he knows each heart here this morning. But put yourself in Nazareth back when Jesus was there. They had the greatest opportunity that they could ever get right there in their hometown, right at their fingertips, and they rejected him. I had to ask the question, why didn't Jesus do some miracles there in his hometown? 
why didn't he try to impress the city folk and to prove to them who he truly was? I think we all know he could have. But first of all, that's not the way of Jesus. And second of all, I quote, Miracles are not used to convince stubborn people who have already rejected the message, end quote. Jesus wasn't going to do some miracle just to prove who he was and trying to get, as the quote says, stubborn people to change their mind. They had already rejected his message. Their decision to be offended by him said more about their heart condition than what it said about the character of Jesus Christ. So just, you have to stop and picture the scene. They, they were gripped with unbelief to the point that Jesus marveled. They had his presence, his wisdom was there, the testimony of his mighty works, his power. He was all powerful. He had the power there. He could heal them from their, and help them in their every need. Yet, they stayed away from him. They wouldn't come to him. In pride, they refused to trust and believe. And the situation, according to verse 6, amazed Jesus. It has been said that their unbelief was simply incredible. But Jesus had to accept their rejection, for he would not force himself upon them. There's a verse in Matthew 9, 35. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Matthew 9.35 is the reason that Jesus came to this earth. That's what he wanted to do. Go around, see the people that needed help, and heal them. Cast out devils. And that's what he wanted to do in Nazareth. At different times in the Gospels, we read how Jesus, when he saw people, he was, I quote, moved with compassion. What does that tell us? Jesus had a heart for the people. He had the power within and the desire to heal. And we read how he healed countless. We can read about miracle after miracle. And we also see that he had a heart for the people in his own hometown. But they were not willing to give him their hearts. At the end of verse 6, Jesus left town. What is your heart condition this morning? Jesus tried to speak to his hometown twice. How many times did Jesus come knocking at your heart's door? Twice the people there in Nazareth said, I will have nothing to do with him. When he comes knocking, what is, your, what is your response? Is there a blockade of unbelief hindering the way to your heart? Or have you denied self, accepted Christ, and is he dwelling in your heart today? Jesus wanted to heal in his hometown, but due to their heart condition, he did not. What is his desire today? Another verse from Matthew. It says, come unto me. All you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And here we see the direct, the very heart of Jesus Christ. He's telling people to come to him, and he's offering help because he has the ability to do that. But as he did with the people in his hometown, so he is doing with us today. He, the decision is up to us. Jesus told, told Jairus back in Mark 5, 36, um, when that person came running, he said unto the ruler of the synagogue, be afraid, only believe. So Jairus was there. He was left with a decision too. He had to make a decision. Believe that those from his own house came and said his daughter had died or believe in Jesus Christ. And we know what he did. He believed and his daughter arose. Howard Martin put it this way. Today, unbelief 
robs the church of so much power and effective witness, witness. And what about my lack of faith? Does it prevent Jesus from working in and through my life, my family, and my church? And I'll leave that question with you. Do we, first of all, do we have a lack of faith? And second of all, does it prevent Jesus from working in our lives? Are we, are we hindering or helping our families grow in their spiritual journey with the Lord? And that's for us parents or even for, for people who are single. Are we helping others in their walk with the Lord? The fact is you're influencing someone today, and the question could be asked, in what way? Think about those that are following your footsteps. Are you leading them to glory? If everyone would follow you, where would they end up? Can others see your faith shining through in this dark world? And is it your desire to get closer to the Lord? These people in, in Mark 6 were close. They were family, friends, and neighbors. And the ones that should have accepted Christ and did not. All their blockades of unbelief that need to be removed so we can place our faith in, our faith in Jesus Christ. Or as I trust where we're at this morning, are we intentional in our walk with the Lord? And there is one more lesson that we can learn here from, uh, from the end of verse 6. In the last sentence, and he went around the villages teaching. Did Jesus get discouraged and give up and go home after he was rejected? No, according to verse 6 here, he was undeterred. He left Nazareth and continued his ministry. So sometimes we can get discouraged, but if friends or neighbors or family don't receive your work for the Lord, don't allow that rejection to keep you from continuing to serve. Just press on. There's other places that we can go. Folks, as we are in the day and age that we are living in and a lot of voices out there, I'd like to just encourage you just to press on and to remain faithful. If Jesus is not on the highest place in your heart, I trust you will you will put him there. Don't allow pride to breed unbelief. In your journey with the Lord, I trust it is taking you closer to him and not further away or not away. Are you closer to the Lord today than what you were three weeks ago? Your, your personal time with the Lord, is it drawing you closer to him? Do you spend time reaching out to others, praying for others? What this dark world needs is, is, is light, and I trust that each one here this morning can be salt and light to the world that we meet. People will have, have their eyes on you. What do they see? I make mistakes. I ask the Lord for forgiveness. I trust we all do. But are we intentional in our walk with Jesus? Are we pressing on and doing everything that we can to bring him glory? Fanny Crosby said, I repeat, take the world, but give me Jesus. In his cross, my trust shall be. Till with clear, brighter vision, face to face, my Lord, I see. And I hope and trust we can meet together there and we can worship the Lord around his throne. Following a prayer, we'll ask for a closing song. And after that song, you consider yourself dismissed. I think I'll take Zach's advice and do our part. I'd love to shake your hands and see how you're all doing, but uh, I'll be around here. We'll just mingle together, but I will probably will not go to the back of this morning. Let's stand for prayer, follow the prayer, have a verse of song, and after that, you can be dismissed.
And I pray, Lord, that our hearts could be continue, Lord, each day to be drawn closer to you. I pray you just give us wisdom and direction. Help us just to, to drink from your word and to grow closer to you. And may our faith be strong. May it grow in leaps and bounds. Help us to be cautious with the example that we are setting for those that are following us. Help us to be diligent and intentional with our walk with you. I pray for direction and protection as we go forth from here. We think of the virus, God. I just pray you just be with each, each one here this morning and protect us. Help us do our part in, in keeping it from spreading. Give us wisdom and directions we press on. And a good week we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.